wormhole. Provisional government. Oh yeah. Davo girls. I think. I think that's pretty good. I didn't hear. Oh yeah. Okay. Round of us. Him cup of the profits. Uh, oh yeah. Okay. I guess I'll start. Looking. It's time for the rules of acquisition. Welcome to Rules of Acquisition, podcast where we'll be going through every episode of Star Trek Deep Space Nine. Uh, with me is James Nolan. Hello. And Hugh Crawford. Hello. And I am Wade Bowen. And the first question I have for the two of you is, um, why are we doing this again? <laughs> <laughs> Who's going first? <laughs> you go ahead, James. You go first. I think this may have been my suggestion. Uh, I love Deep Space Nine, and no one else I talk to does uh, seems to. So uh, I know you guys do. So I, I wanted to see what we could make of it. I think there's a lot of things going on. I think it's a pretty great show, um, and I think it's really interesting about where it fits in television and it's uh, at that time. And, like, where television is gone now. So I think it's a way to, like, you know, there's something, because it's a part of, like, dork culture. But there's, I think there's a lot more sort of more interesting layers going on for that time, uh, for the time, for the 90s, and what came after it in dork culture and sort of nerd culture and just basically culture now. Because it's pretty much the same thing. So I'm I'm interested in exploring that on a weekly basis. Um, and talking to you guys because, uh, nothing's more fun than talking about bad 90s sci fi. Uh, <laughs> and there is, and there's some How of that dare here. You, sir. <laughs> How dare not, let's you. be honest, there's some of that here. So that's why I want to do it. Hugh, what's your reasoning? Um, yeah, I'd kind of, uh, you know, build on what you said a little bit. I think that right now we're living in um, a golden age of television. Uh-huh. So I think Deep Space Nine in particular is interesting to see as like a precursor to a lot of what we like streaming on the streaming services. Uh, you know, movies are basically short stories and uh, television is basically like the great American novel. Big old novels. Yeah. Or, or yeah, great, great novels. Mm-hmm. So I think that, um, previous Star Trek episodes, you know, with Kirk and uh, to uh, another extent, uh, the next generation, they work as like one off almost. Uh, it could almost be an anthology. But Deep Space Nine, on the other hand, is like one long story. Mm-hmm. They set up everything in this first episode and some of the stuff doesn't get resolved until the very last episode of the series. Oh, yeah. So in that sense, it's basically one long Star Trek story uh, from beginning to end, and I think that's fascinating. And I don't think that, yeah, yeah, I think it's it's one that makes it makes an, an interesting precursor to the golden age of television that we're living in right now, and, and worth examining. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I just wanted to hang out with you guys, but <laughs> and you that's, that's and answer. you just happened to see all of Deep Space Nine. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, I do, I do have a soft spot for Deep Space Nine. It's the first Star Trek I remember seeing from the beginning, watching the first episode with my uh, parents. I know a few people that hold a soft spot for Deep Space Nine, but they're the smart ones. But I'm not doing podcasts with them. well that's what i was gonna say like where do we all come from on this yeah well it's funny that you would use before we even get well maybe i'll let you do the description but as this as episodic or television that telling a whole arc and Mm -hmm. i always thought of this that way too but uh even this first episode this time rewatching it i watched it as just one Star Trek episode of classic Star Trek, almost like space uh, Twilight Zone with one story. And it works really well just as like, oh, a guy who goes through some trauma Uh, and has to resolve it in one episode. Yeah. And opens up like a space highway. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Okay. So this, the name of this episode is Emissary. It first aired January 3rd, 1993. And according to IMDb, the, 
It says, when the troubled Commander Sisko takes command of a surrendered space station, he learns that it borders a unique, stable wormhole. Director David Carson, writers credited uh, Gene Roddenberry, of course, based upon the Star Trek created by Rick Berman. And let's see, there's four more credits. Michael Pillar is the Uh, big one. Yeah, Michael Pillar. Yep. So... Yeah, that's what we're we're dealing with. It's the very first. It's the pilot episode, uh, like Star Trek: The Next Generation. You've got the previous, the characters from the previous Star Trek iteration, kind of helping kick it off. Not so gently this time, because <laughs> when we first see Picard, he uh, Picard basically is responsible for the death of Captain or Commander Sisko's wife, which brings which brings a grand total of uh, Starfleet spouses that he's responsible for the death of t- up to two. Yeah. Right? That's true. Yeah. Yeah. He's up to two now, right? And I think, yeah. So, uh, <laughs> he's uh, sorry, Mr. Crusher. Dr. Crusher's, yeah, Dr. Crusher's husband, he's responsible for the death of, and uh, poor Cisco's wife. Yeah, he's less loving towards Picard than uh, Dr. Crusher. Yeah. Yeah, he's he's got he's got real fuck you eyes in this. <laughs> yes. Oh my god, I yeah. loved everything about that. I loved that was like a weird gauntlet. I thought that like they the creators put down on this episode. It was like, oh, we'll bring in Picard, but we'll treat him like a sack of shit. Like, <laughs> you yeah. bring him at his lowest moment, and then you bring our hero Avery Brooks in, and like. And just basically just treat him like he's the stankiest bitch on the street. Like, and Picard knows it too. He, the, Picard yes. knows he's a piece of shit. Yeah, he's he like, just yeah. has to sit there and eat it. Yeah, he's like, oh, and okay. pour fucking tea. <laughs> and I, at first, I thought it was awkward that Picard doesn't say anything. Like, hey, guy, I was, you know, that was that was hard for me. I was, I was a victim. He doesn't say any of that. He didn't say anything because he's British. <laughs> yes. <laughs> But he's not really. He's French. Right. Well, yeah. But yes, he. But but Patrick Stewart's instincts are all British. Can't talk about feelings. So yeah. Yeah. I loved very about much it. You were, so. I, I know we talked about it like as standing alone, as like in like as a piece of like just one. What what is it? Ninety well, minutes. Well, yeah. But it it clearly no. sets up everything. It does, but that but that beginning. If you had not watched, if you are not familiar with Best of Both Worlds. That's a weird intro. Oh, yeah. There's like a robot guy. He's killing everybody. I mean, it does a Star Wars crawl at the beginning. <laughs> well, they try to give you like a little like thing, but like they give you, but it's like robot guy killing, killing his family. But now he's like the good guy <laughs> and they don't explain. And I don't want them to because I watched that shit and I know. But like from a standalone piece of television, it was like something weird, robots, whatever. Move on. <laughs> right. I think what you're saying is like right off the bat, they're like, this ain't amateur hour. Yeah. We're going to incorporate a <laughs> lot of shit. Yes. You know, this isn't this is the different in this point in time in Star Trek's history. You had the people who just like, you know, it was in syndication. You knocked off school. Mm -hmm. You watched you you watched it and had a bowl of cereal in front of the TV, whatever. And then there were the other people, the people who were buying the fucking books. Right. (laughs) The guy the guy's editing for Memory Alpha. Yeah. Yeah. The the people. This is the first series for the people who are buying the fucking books Mm -hmm. because you've got species that were introduced you know, all coming into play in the big ways, you know, in, in Deep Space Nine. Yeah, like I remember watching every, well, every week watching Star Trek. And then when they announced the end of it and they're like, they're doing a new series. And then like the launch to this felt like a big event to me. It was the first event television that I remember almost. Wow. Going in, it's like, okay, and this is going to set forward. So when I was talking about, oh, it actually works well as a one-off, because I've never looked at it that way. Even when I started watching it, I was like, okay. In so much that, in some ways, I was disappointed when I watched through part of it the first time, and then later on, it's like, and how much they set up in this first episode, but then realize that nobody cares as much, so they don't spend as much time on it. Like all the religious stuff, yeah. and him being the emissary, they do it, but it's like just as much because they have to. Right. 
Yeah, well, I mean, like, he starts, they start off the emissary here and all of that stuff. Like, then the last season where uh, we, we were going to be spoiler good, so never mind. But, like, by the end of the season, by the end of the entire show, like, seven seasons later, they're doing the emissary stuff and, like, where that ends. And, like, right. yeah, and Odo's parents, I mean, they're setting that up yeah. now and the fact that, I mean, that was, like, you, I don't know how much they knew about who Odo's parents were or where Odo came from. But, like... They knew they were going to get to it. Yeah, and they set it up as... I mean, it's all in that episode. He came from the Donori belt or whatever they called it, which is near the wormhole. He was probably... Right. He says, I'm probably from the, the the Gamma Quadrant. So, I don't know. Right. Because that, they it opened... The wormhole opened near where he was found. Yes. Right? And that's where they found the orbs, too. So... Right. right. So, he thinks he, he's somehow connected... And he he could give two shits about what happened on that station until they say that. <laughs> yeah. Right. But basically, the first half of this is just introducing all the characters. And slowly. Good and slowly, too. Right? I like that. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, yeah. Like, I'm sorry. You'd think maybe that they would rethink having civilians on military missions. <laughs> They're like, oh, yeah, your wife's dead. <laughs> well, that. Okay, I was going to say this. Uh, I know I'm, I'm supposed to be the guy that accumulates all of the trivia, so I've got to read through all that stuff and sort of bring trivia to the table here. Yeah, let's hear it. Well, no, but, and I'll, I'll sprinkle it. It's peppered. My, my observations will seem peppered with research. One of the things that I looked up on here was that the Saratoga, the ship at the beginning that he was the first mate of or whatever, that got killed by Picard. Uh, that was the first time that family members were shown on a sub-galaxy class ship vessel. Mm-hmm. And so I guess that most of them, they didn't. Only the galaxy classes had, like, family members on the ships. But, like, at the time I was reading that, I was like, I guess that's interesting trivia, but that's the kind of trivia that I think dumps Trekkies. Because I'm kind of like, fucking nitpicky <laughs> Trekkies, you know. But you just made up a point that was like, yeah, that uses that to, like, some interesting effect. So... Yeah, maybe we should go ahead and mention that uh, as far as our vision for the show, that we're not looking to be your hard... I have... Well, you know, they were using this class of shuttle there and blah, blah, blah. No, I love that. And any nerds out there that want to yell at me for that stuff, I love you. That's one thing. It's like there's so much you read about. It's like, uh, you know, because I come from it from a not... Like, my interest in Star Trek, I would say, is an aberration to my interest with a lot of hard sci-fi that's not something i'm interested in but for some reason i'm interested in star trek and so what's most interesting to mm-hmm. me is what's interesting me in everything is give me some good characters give me some good emotional language some emotional development some give me some growth <laughs> give me some crying not a lot of crying but i need a little bit of crying give me some wants and dreams and some some failure i need to see that i need to see it yeah. but then when i was going through this i every half the things i look about is about the design of the runabout and the design of deep space nine i was like i don't care about none of that shit <laughs> Like, I literally don't care what Deep Space Nine looks like. Yeah. <laughs> well, it's too bad they spend the whole credit <laughs> sequence showing you different angles of the station. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Whereas in all the other ones, they're like, look at us travel through the universe and the galaxy. Uh, here's here's one side of the station. Here's another. Here's the, the comet. And the station is... Is designed by the Cardassians, the bad guys of the series. They gotta look like bad and, guys, yeah. And and why couldn't you know? It would have been interesting if the yeah. Cardassians had taste. I mean, it's <laughs> the bad guys. Just because they're the bad guys doesn't mean everything's got to be so cold and ugly. And they super super uncomfortable looking uh, outerwear for their soldiers. <laughs> All that with the pointy <laughs> chest thing. I'm like that. Yeah, it's like, you don't have cool. to telegraph that. It could have been a very interesting thing if they had a, like a flair for pastels or something. Especially, especially around their weird neck veins. Yeah, right. Well, I always assumed that Cardassians had almost a weird crab-like physique underneath the armor thing, like the yeah. little, like the neck thing was part of the back plate or something. Oh, they might. But who knows? <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> some, some are, the young ones are, are blue shelled, so mm-hmm. they, they're really easy to crack open. <laughs> you can eat their shells. <laughs> you could crack yeah. them open and eat. But them. like that was the thing I was thinking of uh, is that. But on the other hand, this show is like gets really deep into like lore and religion, and I'm interested in that stuff. I'm just not interested in the runabouts. <laughs> 
or or <laughs> the, the warp engines. So, well, these don't have warp engines, right. but yeah, whatever, you know. So that's where I stand. Just give me some character. I think that this this series, one of its like greatest strengths uh-huh. is the fact that it it takes a a nice long look at how religion fits yeah. in you know alongside a society that is run by essentially science. But it's also its greatest weakness, too. I think that its its greatest strength is also its greatest weakness. I think they got really into having an Oscar-nominated actress to play one of the religious— This isn't in this episode at all, but this later on in the series. Yeah. yeah. And she— She's not. Uh, she she was really good in One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest. I'm not trying to take that away from Nurse Ratchet, whatever her name is. What's her real name? Does any of us know? I used to. She's from my hometown of Birmingham, Alabama. Oh shit. Yeah, I don't know her name, but yes, yeah. her. I saw her at a film festival one time. Oh really? Where she introed One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest. Yeah. Was she nice? Yeah, she was great. She's super nice and talked about. How she hadn't done anything except for that in Deep Space Nine. <laughs> she hasn't, has she? I don't remember. Her name. But anyway, she was great on the show, but uh, but no, she was great in that. But she she was uh, she was chewing some scenery in this show, and I remember there was long stretches of episodes where I'm just watching her kind of overact. Well, you, oh, you didn't see anybody overacting in this first. Episode, oh, I totally. Did you? Oh, I totally. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Most of my comments are acting notes. So. Does Cisco have PTSD or is it just bad acting? Is that okay? Okay, okay. Can we talk about Cisco? Because I got hit and his acting performance. Because I have, I have. Oh, I think he's fantastic. You think he's? I think he's good later in the series. I think he's in this. It's like if it's PTSD, it might be genius, but I don't think it is because he's like, yeah. Then talking, talking, talking. <laughs> okay. Or just touching his son on the face. I think that maybe he's I don't think they let him off the chain. I think that he's they're they're really careful with this first episode on the characterization of their new main character. And I don't know You think he's I, being an Obama? I feel like where like the first year of Obama's presidency where he couldn't have he couldn't be angry, he couldn't get upset, he couldn't, you know, all of these things because you don't want uh because I don't know the boxes we put black men in. Yeah, I think they're carefully managing. I think in some scenes you can see Avery Brooks making deliberate choices, mm-hmm. and I think in some scenes he's doing what he's told because there's a green screen behind him. <laughs> you know, yes, and he's just he doesn't know what he's looking at, and uh-huh. he's just being you know, and he's just so yeah. I think that part of the problem is that he's in Star Trek. And part of the problem is, is that that you know the I think some of the writing some of the dialogue is a little ham fisted, right? A little bit, right? And it seems like it's like him struggling with that and just all right, I'm going to go for it. But it's levels, it's spikes where he's just going and then he's, well, he okay. lashes out. Okay, so most of my notes that I took were actually on Avery Brooks's performance. I I'm I'm in the middle. I I think that he I think he is spotty in this episode, but like. No, nothing was contrasted that more, but then pretty early on, after they get off the Saratoga, is that what it's called? After they shoot off in the escape pod away from Picard, like there's this moment, and I, I get the feeling that he chose to do that moment. It's where the escape pod, they did the rear view of the escape pod right, shooting out, comes- and he does mm-hmm. like a quick, like angry jerk as like the escape, like it's part of like the Star Trek shaking set thing, but he does it in yes. such a deliberate and intense way. And he immediately like he jerks and then immediately snaps back to his original position and has no facial expression whatsoever because his, he just watched his wife die. And you're seeing behind it, the board blow up the ship and everything. And I was like, something about watching Avery Brooks do that was like one of the most intense acting choices. And probably one of my favorite acting moments is in, in Star, Trek. Star Trek. Yeah. And then <laughs> yeah. the next, scene is him with jake which oh my god jake uh i know he's like a 14 year old boy but still okay uh with jake in the fishing hole in the holodeck and he is like tommy was so bad in that episode in that (laughs) scene and i think that and then you have like the scene with picard later on i think he may be like a talent sponge he may be as good as who he's with okay interesting so when he's with, uh, let's say, uh, Terry Farrell, is that her name? The Dax? Yeah. Yeah. 
We can't call her Terry Farrell because that's Terry just confusing. Fer- when he's with Perry Farrell, and, and they're, <laughs> they're, they're, they're hanging out buying Lollapalooza. No, when he's with Terry Farrell, or Farrell, whatever her name is, Dax. We're going to call but, her Perry Farrell for now. Perry Farrell. When he's with Perry Farrell, <laughs> she, and I'm sorry, in these first couple of episodes, she's so bad. Yeah. Dax's addiction. <laughs> She, <laughs> Dax's addiction is so bad that I think that he like I feel like he maybe plays to their level. You know, like when you're playing ball with your kids. <laughs> you yeah, know, I get that because he's pretty good in those Picard scenes. He's good in both Picard scenes. Yeah, and he's kind of I know it's weird and he's just there in like a shining light, but like he's good in. Like when he gets like later on when he's talking to like the spirits of the wormhole or whatever, mm-hmm. he's good and he's he's Star Trek good. Let's say that right. he's Star Trek good in those scenes. So he's really rose the occasion. He, yeah, because he's acting his ass off. Yeah, including yeah. the scenes where he's talking to Jennifer because he's pretty bad. Oh my bad god, in she she's worse than <laughs> she's the worst she's, than Jake. Yeah. Yes. Also, I would just like to point out that in the advanced, listen, I I felt he didn't have a whole lot to work with in yeah. some of those Jennifer scenes. Oh my god, I, mean, I think he's doing the best. He, he he's like this. There's not a whole lot of meat on the bone here. Mm-hmm. I gotta figure. And he probably doesn't have a whole lot of time to, to like build off of it. I, I think you know. I think that no, he's, he's making choices and he's going going for it. Yeah. and it just, just just doesn't work. <laughs> but I I know. But you're. I'm not saying it's because he's a bad actor. I'm just thinking it's maybe circumstantial. I think. Oh, I think he's a great actor. I think he does yeah, some no. bad acting in this episode. Though. I'm just going to make a blatant statement that outside of Patrick Stewart. It may be Leonard Nimoy at his best. Avery Brooks is the best actor on Star Trek, on anything Star Trek. I, I, I would agree. And I think that sometimes – I love his choices. To, sometimes he talks just barely above a whisper. Uh-huh. Have you noticed that? Yes. <laughs> and that's like my favorite thing. He actually has you leaning into the damn TV. <laughs> You know what I mean? He like draws you in. And when he's got a good line, like that that scene where he comes in to meet Kara for the first time, and she goes, "I, I assume you want your office." And he was like, "Well, I was gonna say hello, and then I was gonna mm-hmm. take the office." Yeah. Like that's a yeah. great line, and he delivered that like mm, awesome. And he did it with that whisper, "I was gonna say hello, <laughs> and then I was going to <laughs> then I was gonna take the office, but um, but we could do it any way you want." <laughs> You know, how about the other the other scene with Kira where she's like hauling shit around and, he, and she's like, I assume you Starfleet oh, yeah. guys don't like hard work. And then he looks around and he just picks up something at random and shoves it somewhere. <laughs> and then he lifts up his lift, lifts up his arms like what now? And that was so weird and wonderful, but at the same time, wonderful. Yes. You know, I felt like that was like all his idea. I, I, I don't know, but but when you're written a line that I hear Bajor is a beautiful world, like that you're talking, <laughs> like I don't know, like because that's what I, 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 it was a was it was a Tommy Wiseau level. I hear Bajor is a beautiful world. <laughs> like it was like it was such a strange delivery and so poor. And I and I think probably like it may be the way Star Trek shoots is they got to yeah. do a lot of scenes yeah. and then like a, you know and then like they're gonna say cut and then Jake's got to play the 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 prophets of the wormhole and like well what is linear time dad you know like <laughs> i don't understand the past dad you know or whatever he's got to be saying in those scenes you know like i i think it's probably if you put yourself there it's a weird position oh I, it has to have been yeah. yeah and terry farrell sucked at it i read about it they she thought she was going to be fired in this episode <laughs> really yeah she apparently got there late like she was a late hire and so like that already filmed like mini scenes and so like at the end they were just kind of like gonna do all the Dax scenes and so oh that makes sense and so Dax, it feels like that almost yeah and then so Dax addiction comes in <laughs> and they just like throw some spots on her face and then like say start acting you're oh by the way you're 356 year old man <laughs> and so they do all of that and she's and she apparently sucks and she's blowing takes because she's the one that's got to say like the the neutrino fields around the 
Plaxar plasma is, you know, she's got to deliver those lines. The techno battle. Yeah, there's a there's a large uh, number of photons or yes. protons coming Neutrin- out from this area. Yeah, neutrinos and the protons in the front. Yeah, she's the one that's got to deliver those lines, and she's awful. So, like, I think that she thought the whole time she was like, I thought I was getting fired. And I, she said, <laughs> I, I kind of was happy about that. <laughs> but, uh, but, and so I think that that may have, like, just no one was comfortable shooting it. Though their shooting budget was higher than um, Undiscovered Country. What? Yeah. Yeah, their shooting budget for this. Where where did the money go? <laughs> yeah, right. Because <laughs> I, I think... mean, I love I love this episode, but Undiscovered Country is a little bit better. <laughs> yeah, Undiscovered Country is the best, in my opinion, the best Star Trek movie. It's my favorite too. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, what? Yeah. <laughs> I'm sorry. Oh. Is it? Not, I, I like it more than Khan, and I like it more than uh, Wales. Wow. The whales I never liked very much. It's the end of the cold. It's the end of the Cold War with like the. I like all of that. I mean, Khan is hard to beat, but I do ha- I do have a soft spot for Undiscovered Country. Khan's good. Don't get me wrong. But it's written it's written and directed by the guy who did that that, right. that movie. So I mean, and also the Two Percent Solution, which is a great movie, a great Sherlock Holmes movie that he wrote and directed. But uh, okay, anyway, <laughs> not Star Trek. Don't care. <laughs> But nonetheless, good. Uh, no, I mean uh, I do, so, but not not now's not the place. That's <laughs> not Star Trek. Um, but no, yeah, it apparently had a bigger budget, and I think maybe they're including like because they had to build all the sets and everything for like a new show, for the whole series, basically. Yeah. Yeah. So like, I think. Oh, that makes sense. Yeah, and that may be including like all like Avery Brooks's first year salary. As opposed to whatever they paid Christopher Plummer and right. Nicole, the you know Nicole Nichols or whoever to be in Undiscovered Country. How much could Walter Koenig cost to get in a movie? So I mean, I think he paid to get in. <laughs> <laughs> I pay you just to be in a show. Right, Chekhov had to get his checkbook out to show up. <laughs> It's like making movie in Russia. No, okay. Okay, so okay, since we're going through the plot pretty pretty linearly here, why does why <laughs> is <laughs> you making a point of saying linearly? I, linearly, yes. No, what is the point of keeping Quark on the ship? Because I get it at the end of the episode because they're like the they're if if the biggest without gambling in in Synthahol, like they're it'll, like the economy will collapse. I guess. But they're not a city; they're a military outpost. I get at the end they're like the last hotel at the end of the world. I get that by the end of the episode. But at the beginning, they're just a military outpost. Can't they just make a commissary like open? Well, but they, but everybody else is leaving. So he sees everything leaving, and he knows. I mean, I think Cisco does a good job of re- recognizing that they need. Commerce. Why do they need all the Bajorans right. are going back to Bajor? Everybody's leaving. If it's a military outpost, why do they need a civilian? Why do they need a civilian population to begin with? Because he's got a kid that needs friends. <laughs> <laughs> so just to keep, Jake has already asked him, "Will there be kids there?" And he's going to make good on that. So he, making sure the bar stays open. Is the first step. <laughs> right. So the first, so the first kid he sees, he throws in jail to make sure. the bar keep open. <laughs> yeah. Hey, I'm going to keep at least one kid here yeah. <laughs> that my kid can play with in the brig. Don't don't worry, Jake. That kid's not going anywhere. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So, uh, so what what are, what what else of like what other beats of the show did you like or not like or did everybody? I noticed. Well, O'Brien at one point when Kira comes in, I think I can't forget. I forget who he talks to, but he says. Oh, you've never served with any Bajoran women, have you? <laughs> Meaning, like, he's only served with one, one. Bajoran woman, Ensign Rowe, right? Yes. And if right. we're supposed to be so forward-thinking and evolved, how come he meets one Bajoran woman and decides, <laughs> you ever ser- they're all bitches? <laughs> yes. <laughs> he's stereotyping really fast. <laughs> oh, you've never served with a you know, Bajoran before, Bajoran women, that is. Oh, O'Brien is a lot like uh, your average Reddit poster. I meet one. Yeah, no. <laughs> but 
<laughs> no, I think Wade brings up a good point. Oh, I think in doing this rewatch, O'Brien is the most awkwardly placed character here. Yeah. Because he was not much more than set dressing for like five years. <laughs> yes. And then all of a sudden we're supposed to listen to him, to him say words for, you know, 45 <laughs> minutes. It's kind of weird. Yeah, he literally had like, I think there were a couple of O'Brien episodes on Deep yeah, Space. Well, yeah, his wife, he had the whole pregnancy. <laughs> yeah, with Worf. I know. And yeah, yeah. But, they have his little girls running around for a while on TNG. Yeah. Yeah. How about that goodbye with Picard and Mile and, and O'Brien? It's like that was the most awkward. That was the br- most Britishy thing I've ever watched. I liked it. Yeah, <laughs> I I liked it a lot, but it's like you know Picard is clearly the boss who barely notices his employees because he barely can. <laughs> he was trying to come up with some. He was trying to build a moment, and he's like, "I love how you do your job. This is your yeah. favorite transporter yeah. room. Like, right. why the hell would this is your favorite transporter? I I feel like I know O'Brien as like a character. I've spent a lot of time with him. I sure. he doesn't strike me as someone that would have a fucking favorite transporter room. Really, really, because he does to me. Me too. He seems very particular. I don't. I don't get it. Like I don't. I. I. I don't know. I, it seems to me that like he's. You know, because there's a thing about him. He's the only non-enlisted we've ever really gotten to know in Star Trek. So he was like drafted, or he like he was you drafted. Know, he, he filled out a form at job fair at his plan. Uh, you know, in <laughs> Ireland, and like. <laughs> He he didn't get into a safety school, and so he went and joined Starfleet. Right. He, he's an enlisted. He's the only enlisted soldier we ever really get to meet on the show. I don't know if Voyager has one or not. They don't. I didn't know that that was a thing, enlisted. What? <laughs> like, I didn't th- think that was a thing in the Federation. Yeah. No, there's officers, Starfleet officers, are, go to the academy. Go to the, the enlisted people. Are just like the scrub, you know, just like in real life. Yeah, so he's gotcha. like a red. He's like, I mean, he he joined the military. He didn't, oh, he never went yeah. to Starfleet Academy. Then. No, no, no. That's no. why he can't get promoted. Okay. That's why he's petty officer. That's why he can't like. He is. I think he's at his maximum promotion level. He's essentially huh. like when you hear like someone retire from the military at like major, you know, they've been it for 40 years and they're a major sergeant. That just means that they can't promote you to anything more because you never had officer training. So like, he's just a, he's an enlisted guy. And Hmm. so he's really at his peak. uh, At some point he's going to retire and go do something else. And they're just trying to eke out like another six months of, of his usage so that he can retire at a higher pay pension. And I think that's why he's taken, like if it was real military, that's why he's taken the job. Mm-hmm. So he, you know, so he's like a work a day dude, you know, he's going to at some point go back to Ireland and go back to school on the GI bill and, and run, you know, and run a target or something, you know, like <laughs> be, a, be an executive direct, you know, manager of a target. That's his future. In this post-capitalist future where nobody has any money? Well, I don't know about I don't I don't know about <laughs> post-capitalist future, but I mean that that's what he's not you know, he doesn't get to do specialer things. So you know, so it's nice to see like just sort of a workaday dude. I don't know. I like I like seeing that and I just don't think I, I get that he's particular about his tools and he's good at his job. They make that very clear in this episode, but there's a lot of like I don't know. Like I got a favorite transporter room and I, I'm really particular about my captains and all of that. I don't know. I I feel like it was just more Star Trek stoking and, and not necessarily in O'Brien's character. That's all I've got to say about. So I think we're kind of split on O'Brien. I think that I, I like what they're trying to do with O'Brien. I just think that they miss most of the time. I do too. I I think he's fine in this. Like, I, wait, no, no, no. I love Col- Cole Meany. And I love, yeah. like, I think he's a great actor. And I love the character of O'Brien. And I like him in this show. Really? What? What? I really, I really don't. I don't like him until later, I think. I think right at this point, I am. You think he's particularly bad in this episode? I'm like, why is he? He's not bad. I just he, just not interesting. Uh, yeah, they struggle. Yeah, I think I, I think I read I read somewhere that they stuck him in the show because they thought he was going to leave. Oh, it's because he started, you know, because he's like a movie uh, for a while in the nineties. He was like a movie star, right? Like out of all of the, he's the most like 
dependable actor. He yeah. never really sucks. You know, he's in like movies. He was in Layer Cake, and he's on shows still. He still gets. Yeah. He's still a hardworking actor. He's he's probably right, made right. more money than anybody on this show. So. Right. Uh, I don't know about Rene Ibergenois with that Benson money. I don't know how much that went, but I mean, like Cole Meany, <laughs> Cole, Cole has got a good career. And I think that what happened yeah. was, is that they had a extra on the next generation that liked being an extra on next generation who also, who apparently started taking movie roles and they thought he was going to leave. So Rick Berman pinned him with a bigger role. They had, they felt like they had an up and coming movie star. That makes sense. Or like character actor. Oh, you think? Oh, they had like a hot commodity they're trying to hold on to. Rick Berman said that they wanted to shuttle him. I think the hope was is that someone would leave Star Trek, like a, I don't know, like not Brent Spine, but like Jordy or something. But they kept those actors around, and that you then you can move. Comini up to a role, kind of like when Tasha Yar left Next Generation. That made a space. Oh, so they put him on the B team, is what you're saying? Yeah, he was he was like an understudy for like a better role, kind of like how Michael Dorn got to be a bigger role when Tasha Yar died. Ah, so I think saying. that that was what they were doing, and it just never happened. So they were like, let's stick him on the, sh-. you know, because they're trying to get every Next Generation. So Star Trek stacking the deck. Yeah, Star Trek stacking the deck. Um, in case uh, something doesn't pan out. Yes. That's what you're trying to say. You have two great first basemen. It's time to trade one of them to Deep Space Nine. Right. So I think that's what they did. <laughs> Death to the opposition. Yes. <laughs> and maybe to keep them off of uh, Babylon 5, which I think <laughs> was a thing at the time. So Right, yeah. right. That was at the same time, I guess. Mm-hmm. All right, so... Do we need to talk about any of the new characters' introductions, or? Uh, yeah, I guess we're first time we're ever talking about any of these people. Is Odo good? Is Renee Albertinois good? So we talked about Dax's addiction, and she was worried about getting fired. Yes, we bre- we talked about Cisco. We don't like Jake. We're we're kind of split on uh, <laughs> O'Brien. Uh-huh. What do you guys think about our new first officer? Uh, Major Kira, Ooh. who is actually a first officer who – it's the first time we have somebody second in command that is not a Starfleet officer. Very true. It's, I feel like they really wish they had uh, Michelle – what's her name? Michelle, Mich- Michelle Forbes. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Not a visitor is everybody's favorite second choice. No. <laughs> I, I, I've already had this converse, I've already had this conversation with, way, uh, with you, so I – I think she's awful. Really? <laughs> right. And I I think she's shrill. I think she's acting like a 14-year-old boy. I think like that's the way she's playing a role. But that being said, I I think the sh- I think, the I show think, writes I think the opposite. I think the show writes her well. I, yeah, they I, wrote and, her as a 14-year-old boy in this. <laughs> Well, that like, oh, she's, and she she's gets another... a scene. She gets a scene at the end, and I think that in comparison, she does better in her sort of big scene, big like the scene between the stare down with the Cardassians. I think she's just as good in that scene as Riker is in any of his decision making. Yeah, I think she does scene. well in that scene, and I don't, I don't hate her as much as you do. I don't think. No, <laughs> I don't know. There's something about her that just doesn't. I. She's pitched so broad and so like angry. There's not a nuance. There's not. Yeah, I, I blame that on the writing. Yeah. Okay. I I like I like her performance. I like how wild eyed she is. I like how she's basically somebody who had a very traumatic life. She's been fighting. She's been like in battle mode her entire life. The war is over, and she still hasn't dialed it down any. I like that about her performance. I think it's very, I think it's very interesting. I, th- I, I think she's got a wild look in her eye, and <laughs> I, you know, the chip on her shoulder is. It, I don't know. I think it's interesting. I think it's like we've all uh, people who know us or uh, know that we've all done a, our fair share of. Uh, small level theater. <laughs> sure. And you know that when you miscast, there's a way that you could miscast an actress 
to play outside, like, or an actor or anybody to play outside of their type that they end up projecting so broadly that it, it's such a, a f- sort of a large, funny performance where she ends up shouting all of her, you know, all of her lines are delivered. Like, you know, everything is pitched at such a high pit, uh, high, high level that it's just, it's grating to me. And, and it wears me down over, like, if I remember watching it in my first run through her performance ultimately wears me down and I end up giving a shit about her and I like her. You know, like I like how relentless she is. Yes, I, I, I like that. I like that she's always dialed up to ten, and no matter what the situation is, and it, I, I, I like that about her. And I think they actually use that to some certain extent. Yeah, you know, I because it's she's like an unwieldy force of nature that that Cisco has to figure out how he's going to like use on his side. Yeah, no, I, I mean, I like her as a character, and I like the everything about the character I like on the page. Maybe not her actual dialogue because it's Star Trek. There's bad. There's there's boners all over this place. Sure. But um, yes. Uh, but I mean, I like the idea of this, you know, separatist rebel who's led this awful life, and now she's like at this moment, and I feel like the Bajorans are. The way Israelis probably were in the 1950s, you know, like a little bit of chip on your shoulder, a little bit kind of wanting to murder and like victimize some some motherfuckers, but also like trying to be, you know, civilized and have like a perspective about it and play and play a smart political game to help her people. And I I think that all of that is there in that character. And I don't think that she does much to interfere with it, but just. There's a way that, like, she just—I don't know. I, I, I so you know, I feel like her performance is like a suit that she, a part of her uniform that she wears, and not like a natural part of her. And that is grating to me. But like I said, over the course of the show, her character is very interesting. It never runs out of places to go. They do stuff with her. So it's, she's not like the Riker of the show where it's like they, they, they just ran out of ideas for you. (laughs) So you're just there to spew exposition at this or let people spew (laughs) exposition at you, you know? So, so she's definitely a character. So she's better than Riker or something like that. But yeah, she's, she she may be my personal least favorite, even though Dax's addiction is way worse as, in this episode, at least as far as performance. Uh, Kira Kira is my least favorite yeah. performance. Hey Wade, uh-huh. what characters did we miss in the introduction? I feel like we're missing somebody. Julian's pretty throwaway in this. He is. Yeah, he is. Yeah, wet behind the ears. Yeah. Do you know there's a scene on the bridge where, like, you know, everybody's like, we, we've we got massive I-beam casualties from I-beam. Yeah. And, yeah. They have to call and you're like, hey, why don't you right. go do your job, asshole? Yeah, like, why are you fucking here? <laughs> go do your job. So there's a scene between him and Odo that is – they just took the dialogue between uh, Hawkeye and Renee Abergenois' character in the movie MASH. The dialogue between them. <laughs> Between Bashir and Odo is the dialogue between Hawkeye and what whoever character Renee Abergenois oh, played wow, in Mash. It's just funny. that dialogue. <laughs> but oh, I don't funny. know. Shouldn't you have a doctor? Get down here and help me. Yeah, yeah. He's he's Bashir's awful in this. <laughs> well, well, that makes sense because your two least favorite people end up getting married in real life, right? They did. And what was his <laughs> name? His name. I was always tripped out by his name. On the first season, he's Elsa Dig. Fadar or something, right? Doesn't he have two names? That's kind of a badass name. Yeah, <laughs> but it was like that's their uh, idic infinite diversity and infinite combination. They haven't really had any Egyptian or a Middle Eastern guy. Yeah, who looks like a white guy? But. Yeah, Sadig El Tahir or El Fadil is what he goes by. Sadig El Fadil in this season, and then he changes it to Alexander Sadig. Anyway, so that's always tripped me up. I didn't realize he changed it to... Yeah, I remember him as Alexander. I didn't know they had him billed as differently in this one. 
Yeah, in the first in the first two seasons, I think he was trying to like get his you know he was very trying to embrace his roots, and then and then eventually he was trying to embrace getting a job. Right, so. that works for Star Trek when they're trying to be all diverse, but for the rest of Hollywood, they're like. Uh, that sounds yeah. okay. You can play a terrorist. How about that? Yeah, and so even now, where well, the terrorist jobs really flooded to him. Like he was on Twenty Four, he was on uh, Syriana. He's gotten. He's been one of the go-to terrorists. Oh, okay. See, I didn't even pay attention. All I know is that he was on Game of Thrones, <laughs> where everyone is. Hey, it's Doctor Julian Bashir. Yeah, it's Doctor Bashir. Why are they giving him more things to do on the show? <laughs> yeah. Right. So yeah, he's nothing yet. So we don't have to talk about him much. Our uh, uh, Quark. Oh yeah, I think I like Quark more than I'm. I I think I would. I think yeah, Armin Shimmerman does great job with him. Yeah, oh, he's, he's a great. He's fantastic. As I he, his he can convey so much under all that makeup. Right. Yeah. Well, he's played so many Ferengis by this point. They're like, oh, well, if we have to put him in as the a, right. a regular role. He's played a Ferengi every time we've had one. Yeah. He was like, yeah, he's a, he's an interesting, and he's uh, he's great in Buffy, too. I love that character so much, and I don't think that I like him for the comic relief crap, which is how he's used. I think it's interesting He's one of the more complex characters. He's a very American character. He's a capitalist. He's the capitalist <laughs> point of view for everyone. Yeah, but like he's that there's this like sort of like, you know, all of these Starfleet officers, you get to them and I don't recognize these motherfuckers. I don't <laughs> you know, I don't I don't know who these people are. I don't everybody's so good and everybody's so like nobody fights and nobody like is basic and no you know Picard never just gets up and is fucking grumpy and yells at like somebody for no reason unless a kid gets on the bridge <laughs> unless a kid's there and then he's stoic yeah but no there's something about watching like an american on the show and quark is definitely that right yeah especially nowadays i want more americans in your our sci-fi <laughs> everybody wants uh, we're gonna be all serious so we're gonna throw more british people i mean i I'm excited about Star Wars. I love all the actors, but it's like, yeah. how come we can't have Americans anymore? Yeah, the beautiful thing about Han Solo was Han Solo was American. Yeah, <laughs> like, and I and I'm not of this. I'm not. I'm not like a big right wing nut. Obviously, you guys know that. Right, I'm right. a big left wing nut. But um, <laughs> but there is something about watching somebody who's so driven by money. And uh, that sort of drives all of his interpersonal relationships that I think is so interesting. Well, it's interesting because the whole conceit of Star Trek being we've evolved beyond capitalism, but at the same time being this infinite diversity and infinite combination where we're going to respect everybody's views <laughs> to, so that there's like, so we're post-capitalist, but at the same time, we can't be fuck your ideology because yeah. we're supposed to be about acceptance. <laughs> right. So it's cool that they finally worked that and they're not truly post-capitalist because else he wouldn't have needed quark to stay on deep space not well he needed that to to foster a better environment which is for the bajorans anyways and the because yeah. yeah because you know even quark says at some point it's like hey i'm not going to be acting under federation rules because he yeah. knows that doesn't involve capitalism or money. Yeah. <laughs> yes so uh yeah i liked all of that I was going to say while we're kind of at the end here that one of the things that I didn't occur to me until I was reading up on some some of the stuff about this episode is that Rick Berman pitched it as a I don't as a western town with like mm. Cisco as the sheriff and Kira's like right. the the native attaché and Odo's the you know no Cisco's the mayor and Odo's the sheriff and Quark is the, the Elswearingen type salute yeah. saloon keeper. Oh, there's a Deadwood. Yeah, it, well, and, yeah. it was like, because I guess Gene Roddenberry pitched Star Trek as Wagon Train in space. Right. Well, did you guys know that he, Gene Roddenberry, actually wrote uh, for Gunsmoke, the radio play, and he also wrote, uh, he actually did write Have Gun, Will Travel. Oh, really? The radio show. Yeah, he wrote, he had a, he was a, a radio play writer before, you know, or at the beginning of television. Oh, interesting. And I've actually listened to one of, one of his episodes on the Internet Archive. Mm-hmm. You know, you can listen to old time radio. Oh, yeah, yeah. And I've, I've actually listened to 
one of the episodes of Have Have Gun Will Travel that Gene Roddenberry wrote, uh-huh. and it is horribly racist. <laughs> it, is, it is almost un. You can almost not. I mean. Yes. So he has a Roddenberry has uh, he's steeped in the 20th century Western ideals yes. and archetypes. So that doesn't surprise me. Well, talking about what it, one thing that really it's like for a pre 9-11 show. Sorry to go here. It's like, <laughs> OK, OK, we're, we're going to have to bring 9-11 into every podcast. So oh, you, okay. you, you, did, you did work for us. So OK. Well, no, just like, okay, before when we were talking about Bajor and the Next Generation stuff, it's basically Space Israel. Yeah, but now space, yeah. it's basically Space Iraq, except it's before before Iraq got all fucked up. They're talking about all the, they have a re- highly religious society called, yeah. where they have a big emphasis on the prophets. And now that they've just come out of a war and an occupation, they're all split up, split up into factions, and Kira's like, "Oh, it'll never last. This government's going to fall apart." Also, they have a commodity that everybody wants. Yeah. So yeah, we didn't talk about. Yeah, it's basically the wormhole at the end of this episode is basically space oil. Yes. And I think we can go a little long on this episode since we actually are covering two episodes, yeah. and this is our inaugural episode as well as True. you know the the pilot for. The one and a half hour pilot. <laughs> we have, this is ostensibly. It's a movie. A, a, you know, like a movie. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, and, and like Wade touched upon, you know, Cisco is given a character arc at the beginning. Mm-hmm. He's wanted out of Starfleet. He's been traumatized by the death of his wife and raising his son alone. He's been given a shitty assignment where nobody wants to be, uh-huh. <laughs> except for Bashir because he's an ignorant asshole. <laughs> yes. <laughs> he's a dumb shit. And. He actually uses the word frontier space, and he does it with a bunch of Bajorans who are just like, frontier, this is like my home, you asshole. To make it a Deadwood parallel, he's like the guy who took Alma Garrett out into the world. You know, I'm going to go pan for oil, even though I'm a rich asshole, and he ends up getting killed. Yeah, Right. And so, and at the end, you know, he, the wormhole is opened, changes the political, you know, implications of, Bajor. Yeah. And they give Cisco the ability to move on with his life due to the meeting the celestial beings that live inside the wormhole. And I guess it's an artificial wormhole, but it's still not clear as to how or why the beings made the wormhole. Right. I'm not even sure that's ever really addressed ever. Yeah, I think they're like a wormhole group. The how and why doesn't matter. I don't think so, but you know. In the wormhole, they can live in nonlinear time, and then when anybody enters it, it causes them pain because they don't know how to think linearly. Right. Yeah. Cisco lives in linear time, linear time, but he's also stuck living in the death of his wife. Yeah. So that's like the thing that solves question, and they can understand each other at the end. Yeah. And then basically, the episode is over. They Cisco decides tells Picard, you know, fuck you still, but I'm staying. Yeah, yeah. I'm, st- I'm not gonna be. I'm not gonna smile, but I, I like what I'm doing here. Yeah, right. That was the one thing I was gonna say. Would at that point, and I'm just putting myself in Picard's shoes here. I would be worried about that, and I think he kind of is because he's like, should I not? How can I ignore what you told me that in the first scene we had together? Right, right. But it seems like, okay, so you have this guy. He goes into a wormhole. He comes out. He's kind of grinny now, and he's got, like, a different pep in his step, and he's experienced something in the wormhole that makes him totally gung-ho to do the job now. Wouldn't wouldn't Picard be worried that he got, like, crazied? Well, that's what I thought about was great. Well, I mean, that's why fucking he's uh, the best actor in all of Star Trek. Yeah. He can say so little without saying much. Cause I even just watching it, it's like, okay, I don't, I, st- I don't trust this guy. He's not like, okay, Cisco, whatever you want. Yeah. He's like, okay, well I can't do that. You said you wanted to do this. I'm a military man. You yeah, know, yeah. I can't. And I, but at the not... same time, he's like, I kind of owe this guy. Cause I did kill his wife. 
<laughs> and I mean, and I mean, you know, because Picard gave him like a personal job too. Picard's like, I've come to love the Bajoran people because there was Michelle Forbes last season, <laughs> right, right. and like, and and so like, do this up, and they want to. I think they should join the Federation. A lot of people want them to join the Federation, and for some reason, there's there's not much here to make the Federation want to join them. Yeah. You know, or to welcome them in. So you got to give them something. And he goes and gives them the wormhole, which is like one of the hottest spots in the galaxy now. So uh, it's like the only stable wormhole in existence. Right. Yeah. And so obvious and to the uh, to an unexplored part of the Milky Way. So obviously Bajor is now important. So obviously Bajor will be welcome. You know, it's like whenever you hear that, like turkeys in NATO, you're like, how did that shit country get in NATO? Yeah, right. It's because at one point it was advantageous to put them in. Sorry to our Turkish audience. We love you. Sorry, we love you, and we, you're great members of NATO, whatever that means. <laughs> yeah, we don't have a Turkish audience. But uh, like you, you're like, how did hell did NATO? How did hell did Turkey warrant getting in NATO? Well, it's because at one point it served a good function, and it's, Bajor is now going to get in on the Turkey clause. And so basically, he did everything that Picard asked him to do. But I would just be worried that he's like now a weird religious nut. Right. Well, yeah, I think Picard to an extent is like. Okay, well, man, I was going to give this guy this shit detail, even though I love the Bajoran people mm-hmm. and I want them to join the Federation. But now it's a lock, and, man, I would like to get somebody I trust in here, but I did kill this guy's wife. <laughs> <laughs> I okay, can't. I guess. Yeah, yeah I can't. right. I can't. And he's got a son. <laughs> he said. <Yeah. laughs> so, yeah. And, I, you know, I... I don't know. I, I that was like I think that was just something. I was just like, wouldn't that have been like a worry that would have been is now? And I know that the rest of the episodes deal with that, with the religion, and you know, it's not so much that Avery Brooks feels that he met the face of God, but everybody feels like he's now God. But right. it's still, it's it's just a strange thing. Every time I watch that scene, I'm like, I, uh, you need to ask more questions about what happened in the wormhole. It seems <laughs> to me, <laughs> right. I did notice that one of the people that saved uh, saved Avery Brooks on the Saratoga was uh, Mott the Nosy Barber's uh, was one of one of his uh, kin. It was one of the blue face people. Yeah, <laughs> they brought Mott's uh, Mott's uh, near do well cousin. Yes, yeah. <laughs> to help him out. Yeah, yeah. All right. Well, uh, yeah. I guess before we wrap up. I wanted to ask you guys uh, one question. Okay. Yeah. So if there's anything that you could change about this episode, what would you do? (laughs) You go first, you. All right. I think the first thing I would do is I would figure out a way. I'd get a different, since it's the first episode, I'd get rid of O'Brien. What? What? (laughs) I would. I know. This is a very unpopular opinion. But I would probably figure out a more inter- – there's got to be a more interesting engineer out there than, uh, like, using a part of the next generation set dressing. <laughs> and I know that – They can't use Jordy. He costs too much. Well, I just, like, don't don't import anybody. Like, bring somebody brand new in. It's a little bit weird and, you know, I don't know. I didn't, I didn't enjoy this – I didn't enjoy him in this episode – we, you know, we'll, it's something to keep an eye on as we as we go on. I do know in the next few episodes, it's uh, his his wife doesn't like the assignment, mm-hmm. and so he's got like a lots of marital like he he's got like marital issues, and I like that in the show. Yeah, because he's like he's kind of I mean she's not I mean she's right, but like you know he's mostly like related to the fact that he's got this. You know, he's got a fully formed life like Picard never, like Picard or Riker never did. He goes back to like, you know, a life at home in his little cell and his wife's pissed because she doesn't like that. They went from being on the Enterprise to being in the shithole. The flagship. <laughs> yes. Yeah. yeah. And then now she's on a shithole. And like and I like that about it, that he's got to deal with all that stuff. And that's in the next few. Well, that's, something that, that, that's something we'll definitely keep an eye out for next week. Yeah. What, all right. Who's who's going next on this? On the change, you guys have any change? If you don't have any changes, you yeah, can just ask. I felt like they rushed stuff, and then there was like that whole sequence with the Cardassians at the Domjot table or whatever, and like the whole thing with getting him back on the ship and getting Odo on the ship. 
all basically so they could sneak away from the car. That's a lot of writing to just basically sneak away from the Cardassians. Yeah. And when it seemed to me like the whole time, I don't even understand why the Cardassians are a thing there. Because, I mean, like... Like, why did they have to get them off? Why did they let them right? into... I mean, can't you just say, hey, dudes, you just had a peace treaty. Maybe don't go to our gambling establishments for a little while. Like, See, I understand yeah. I understand if Gul Dukat wants to come in and talk to him. But like, that's, that's an official... You know, that's a military officer talking to a military officer. That's fine. That's how these things are supposed to happen. But don't don't have the card, you know, you you know, like don't let the Cardassians just run drink and run wild on your ship. That seems crazy. And then get to the they basically just wanted to show that Odo could look like a bag of gold. Yeah, that was about to say it's all look like this fancy morphing technology that you haven't seen since <laughs> Michael Jackson's black or white video. It's that's, computers. Woo! Yeah, that's really all that they did on that episode. And it was like, and it was all, it, but because that's there, they had to rush like the whole ending. Yeah. And there's like, okay, we're going to show all this problems, how to get him on the Cardassian ship. Mm-hmm. But then we just teleport him back. Oh, he's at the exit point. Ta-da. Yeah, because you have this like you introduced this religious thing, she, you know the the Kyle Alpaca. Kyle Alpaca, <laughs> <laughs> you know, gives him this this stuff, fingers his paw, and then gives him a, a pimp cup, and, <laughs> and yeah, the orbs not very round. Yes, it's the pimp cup of the prophet's paw, is what I wrote in my notes. Um, they gave him a pimp cup and, and sent him back against. I mean, so I get why all that's there, but it seems like you need to tie that in. That's a major part of the story and they don't go back and have him talk to Kyle Paca. They don't call him the emissary, which is the title of the episode. (laughs) Like they don't establish any of that, this episode, but I know a lot about uh, how Cardassians gamble. So that, that's what I would change. (laughs) I just learned that all aliens love tits. (laughs) Don't, doesn't matter what kind of skeleton face they have. You just put a nice rack on them and they, they're cool. I I, I was, I was like that too. And as she walked by, I was like, yeah, are we supposed to be turned on by her? Even though she's got like a vulture face. And I think we were. And it's, it's, it's an interesting time after uh, Star Trek went in interesting directions after Gene Roddenberry left, left us. (laughs) Wade, what would you change if you were going to change anything? Um, I think James makes a good point with the, Odo on the Cardassian ship, and then they just skip over getting them back, which seems like yeah, <laughs> it was kind of clumsy, wasn't it? Just just throw some phase on energy at it to block their or sensors and just call it a day. Yeah, whatever. Just do some. Yeah, do some. They moved the whole ship by a means I don't understand. Why? Oh uh, yeah, that seemed kind of cheap. <laughs> why? Yeah, why can't you just evade the Cardassians through means I don't understand? It doesn't matter. You know, oh no way! You know how they made move the ship faster. It was going to take two months to get to the wormhole, yes. but then and then they had the idea to make the ship lighter, and if they yeah. made the ship lighter, they could move it faster. Uh, I don't think that's how space and gravimetric like physics works. Because weight is not a thing. When I think you're in space. Mass, you could change the mass somehow, but then everybody's bones would break immediately. Yeah. But weight is not a thing in space. I, you're wrong. I went to space camp. I know. That bothered me. That bothered me a lot. Yeah, that, that got by the – because I just – I did find out that they have to put every script through like – there's like – even in like – I guess in the 90s, there was like a nerd core of like super fans – that oh, yeah. that uh, Berman employed to read the scripts, and like all of their notes are on Memory Alpha. Like what they sent back is like whoa, yeah. Like and on Memory uh, on Memory Alpha, it says the notes for this episode was that in the original script, Kyle Paca said that the orbs came to them over a thousand years ago, but um, in the Ro Lauren episode, Ensign Row episode of D- mm-hmm. of Next Generation. It says that the Bajorans were walking upright before humans evolved on Earth. Oh, yeah. Or were running great. Uh, so they had to, like, put it back way further. So she said over the yeah or the last 100,000 or 10,000 or something like that. So they had to move it back to make the religion seem older in scope. 
So that and that that I agree. That's the kind of nitpicking I kind of agree with. I don't know why. Yeah, it's called continuity. Exactly. Yeah. I like that. Keep it keep it keep that in order, but I don't really care about the interiors of the runabout. <laughs> yeah. If you're into that stuff, this is the first appearance of a runabout. Oh, really? Which you spend a lot of time on in the show, yeah. Yes, they do. Yeah, the only ship they show in the opening credits is a shuttle runabout shuttle. Y- yes. They don't even show the planet in the they don't show Bajor. It's just look at another angle. Yeah. I have no idea what Bajor looks like. It's blue. Is it? <laughs> it's beige. I, it should be. <laughs> yes. It's earth tones and blue. But, uh, okay. All right. All right. That's all I've got to say. I mean, this is a good episode. This is a... Yeah, no, I a, think it's great. I think this is a just good good TV, man. I think this is... Yeah, uh, no, I think it's great. I think that's probably a good way place to wrap it up. We kind of went over a little bit, but... Uh, yeah. It's our first episode. I think that makes sense. Anything for you to say, Hugh? I'm good, guys. Can't wait to watch the next episode and uh, meet you back here next week. Yep. I, I will be yeah. here. I agree. Thanks for listening to the rules of acquisition. Maybe yes. we'll uh, talk some more about those as we progress through. <laughs> oh, yes. <laughs> we should actually learn what they are. <laughs> oh, yeah. Well, there's there's a lot of them. Yes, there are. Uh, Okay, cool. Uh, That's all. See you guys later. Please follow us on Twitter at AcquisitionPod and on Tumblr at the Rules of AcquisitionPodcast.tumblr.com. Send us an email at Rules of AcquisitionPodcast at gmail.com. You can turn this off now. It's pretty pathetic that you are still listening. Do you not have friends, or a hobby that is not Star Trek podcast related? That is possibly why people are fearful for the future of our society. We believe in you. We know you are better than this.